You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. It is April 11th, 2016, and we are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me. And Nancy, that's me. And Nancy Burns, and we are broadcasting on Future Theater Live from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Solbury Village, Pennsylvania, are produced on Future Theater on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network with our producers, Angel Espino the Jackal and Amy Collins. And Chris Brown is with us, and everybody say hello, chime in. Hello, chime in. Chiming in. Chiming in. Chiming in. So here we are, so and our guest go. tonight... Packed house tonight. Packed house, and our guest tonight is a filmmaker and writer, author, and artist, Paul Davids, and we're going to talk about his latest book about Forrest Ackerman's discoveries about no, 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 the no. other side. Well, it's an atheist view of death, basically. Is well, really what, but what it's not about is. Forrest Ackerman's discovery so much as Forrest Ackerman himself well, well, basically making Ackerman, an appearance after death. Right. He made an appearance after death so and all the strange phenomena that took place that nobody's been able to explain. And Paul is going to go into that in great detail tonight. And we'll talk about some of his other projects, including his new project about Marilyn Monroe. So... Okay, That's sounds what we're gonna do. sounds All exciting, right. and also there's a couple of other um, there's a couple of other handles for you, Chris. Um, if you take a, if you if you go uh, to futuretheater.com and follow the link on Paul David's name to his art, the artist link, you'll find okay. his art, and you will see something. His bell, huh? Get it? His what? His his bell. What do you mean? Art Bell. Oh, his art. Oh, 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 it's kind of abstract, but you, Chris, will recognize it as perhaps what you saw. It's sort of, it might be, now I can't find it. Uh, uh, Paul Davis has also done. It might be uh, too good to be real. You can't find yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll find it during the show, and then I'll put the link in the uh, chat, and right. uh, Chris can check it out. But um, because it was very prominent, today I was looking all around, and uh, it was it was very prominent, and I, I should have made a bookmark, of course. Okay, so there's that. And then in addition, for you, Angel, Paul Davids has another element to his life. He's very Renaissance as a man. Right, right. Uh, right. And it's that he is a Star Wars author with his wife, Hollis. Okay, oh. Star Wars. Now, let's see here. Uh, if you go onto Amazon, if you look at Paul Davids, uh, Star Wars. Not Star Trek. No, I'm the Star Trek. Now, is it Star Wars or is it Star Wars? Star Wars. Um, That's the Mexican version. Star Wars. No, no, this is Star Wars. This is this is okay. Now I'm on on the Warner Books. I'm not sure. Okay, I'm on the Wikipedia here. 
The Wikipedia, get it? Uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. Okay, so he's done the Jedi Prince Young Reader series. Nice. Okay. The Glove of Darth Vader. The Lost City of the Jedi. Zum, Zorba the Hut. Zorba the Hut. That's Zorba the Hut's Revenge. Yeah. Right. Uh, Zorba the Hut. Is there a Zorba the Hut? I. I guess there is. There is plenty of other huts. Yes. H U T T. He's related to Jabba. Yeah, and then there's Mission from Mount Yoda, Queen of the Empire, and Prophets of the Dark Side. So there you go. There you go. Um, I'll put that link right now into chat and wow. uh, amend the amend the website, which I'm happy to say is up and about. Today it wasn't looking good for the website. Whoops. What happened? Well, it's it's too it, it literally even I know it's too boring to talk about unless this were a programming wow. show. But it's um it's got to be that bad, huh? It was really bad. And so I was able to do it and fix it and in the course of things fixed a couple things that I didn't even know I knew how to do. So I'm I'm very proud today. But it looked bad in the middle of the afternoon and I apologize to all of our guests always I almost never get your page up until almost the end of the day on on Monday and some guests are way more professional and would like to publicize the show and so yeah. I'll have to, yeah have, what, what, you know uh, you guys know that now listen um one of our pals in the chat wise frog I believe is a is the newest member of the fam yeah would that be right what? That is correct, Nancy Burns. Wise Frog is joining the uh, the stable here on PSN Radio, and he's going to be debuting the stable, the horse and carriage. He will be joining us, and uh, his show is going to be debuting here in the next uh, few days. Uh-huh. Now, he's also a musician in addition to being a time traveler. That he is. He's a time yeah. traveler, a musician, and a wise frog. Well, you know, um, the funny thing is, as a time traveler, let's see how... Uh, hard it is to kind of you know hit the mark, do a show when you know like it's Monday night, ten o'clock. It's Future Theater, even yeah. though you know. So I'm just saying. So so uh, okay. So now let's say that let's say that Wise Frog or anybody else on the planet wanted to call in right now. Um, they could do that. I they believe could. correct. Yeah, they could. They have everything all set yeah. with. Um, we're we're on the right we're on the right Skypey. We're on the right Skype. Yes, we are. The number is uh, 786-245-8127 if you want to call. East of the Rockies, west of the Rockies, north of the equator, south of the equator. If you're in France, if you're in the UK, it doesn't matter. Call 786-245-8127. Heck, you could even be off planet if you want to call from Uranus, Mars, Venus, wherever you are. Even if you're like in Alpha Centauri somewhere, you call that number. You're getting through to talk to Nancy and Bill Burns. It's happening. And Chris will well, be on the line too. It's a lot of times, a lot of times people say that, in fact, they try to call. In fact, let's let somebody try because see if a, see if a call comes in because I think there might be a, a problem somehow. There's a problem every week with something. So let's just see. Try not to jinx it. Yeah. By saying stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> well, because I didn't really have a topic except this weird electrical thing has happened. Okay. Not weird. Okay. I, I'm, this is a call to the most conspiratorial among our listeners. Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners have, have already done the research on the two kinds of electric meters currently on homes in the United States. There's one where there's like a dial and it goes round. You could see it. Right. And then yeah. there's the new one where I'm sure there's no dial that you could see turning. Right. right? It's like a digital meter. It's digital. And right. you just see the digits flashing. Right. By the way, somebody's taking you up on that, and we're getting a call. Here we go. Getting Let's a add call. Here we yeah, are. Look at that. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, boy. You're live on uh, Future Theater. 
Caller. Welcome. Hello, guys. Who is it? It's Frog. Rip Hi, Frog. Hey, you've guys. Got a, you've got okay. a better microphone than usual. Uh, I'm on the house phone. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, then, there you go. So tell yeah. us, yeah, tell us, tell us about, you have actually a very lengthy radio uh, presence already, right? You've been on the radio. Yes, before. I do. Yeah, tell us since, about that. Since 98, uh, I was the very first pagan radio station online, ah. pagan radio network. And then uh, there were issues and problems a few years later with someone who who went by Pagan Radio Network Circle of Souls, and and they came and trashed my site, and my site ended up going bye-bye. And then I had several other sites on and off, and now I've got Black Swamp Radio, and I am so thrilled. I've never been on somebody's network before in my life, even though it's just a podcast that Angel's replaying. It's so awesome to me. Thank you so much. It is. I'm, well, congratulations to you and to us. Well, we're all happy to have you on the network. That's right. You're That's welcome right. to addition. And I'm excited to hear the, the show and, uh, and see how the audience reacts to it. And now it, it is going to be pre-recorded for now, but eventually maybe one day you think you uh, might go live, huh? Maybe, perhaps? Uh, perhaps, maybe one day I can go live, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to get you to move your spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow he decided to do his shows on uh, the same time that uh, we do Skywatchers on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. That's not uh-huh. good. Not good. Well, yeah. Well, actually, pick a, pick a second time and, um, you know, try it out. The, the, I personally prefer the live talking because I'm a very yeah. lazy, lazy person. And I think doing a podcast is the hardest thing on the planet because you have to kind of make it perfect. And if you start to stumble and stuff, you're supposed to stop and clean it up, right? Right? Well, not me. I, I just go th- and I clean up uh, the podcast after because I record it while... I'm airing the show, and uh, I just clean up the podcast, save it, and I put it up on the server, and it's on TuneIn. Not everybody's like that, though, because I've had that experience where I've heard shows before, and I'm like, this show is flawless. How is this so good? And then I've been on the show, and and it's all pre-recorded, and they edit everything, and all the mess-ups are you know gone, and and it gives away like the illusion of it was a great live show, but it just they, they don't do live shows. So some people do edit the the hell out of their shows, and for some it's good because the the end product is really really good. It's you know a fascinating show. The thing I don't like about you know not having a live show is you can't interact with the audience as well. That's um, right. You can't take callers. Right. You can't take uh, tweets. You know you can't take uh, blasts from like Skype or mm-hmm. something like that. There's certain things you just can't do because you're not live. You know at, at that moment, unfortunately. Well, now that, right. that's the biggest thing to me. Well, yeah. uh, last week Chris showed me. Something Uh-oh. that he's, yeah, he he's been keeping. Does sort Bill of, know about? Does Bill know about this? <clears throat> just a little bit. I only told Bill a little bit. It's very okay. exciting. It's very exciting, and it's too exciting. Okay, it's too exciting for people of a certain age. I'd say people past forty. It's it's really so exciting that you have to look at it and you have to say, ah, got to be careful with this because this could show your stash your- again. Eh? What? <laughs> <clears throat> no, <clears throat> but yes, yes, almost okay. Chris is on a thing he talked about last week called Vaughn. What is the rest of it, Chris? VaughnLive.com. Vaughn, and that's V as in Victor. V as in Victor. Live. Now, Vaughn Live is like Skype, but only, only with uh, video, period. In other words, if you decided you wanted to do a show, you just sign up to Vaughn Live, and boom, if you've got the equipment, 
you can push a button and you've got a live show and or a DJ show. You, or you should really you should really should check out um, Uvu because it's very it's almost the same thing as uh, as probably what you're looking at over there. Uvu okay. you can do video or audio, and here's the cool thing: you can actually interact with Skype. You can use, you can use like Uvu to yeah, call so people on Skype. This, this so, too, this too, mm, and so cool. I'm already trying to figure out. See, like right now, if I could put a uh, a cute uh, camera. Like someplace where you could see both Bill and me in the room, it will be so much fun because Bill's sitting on the couch with a microphone, and I'm at a little desk with a microphone, and we have cool studio Christmas lights up and stuff, and it would just be really fun to. But would it, the audio come through the mic or through your no microphones? It comes out my mouth, which is the out. No, no, no. The, the, yeah, but does it come through the microphone that you're yes. using with the, your system or the actual camera microphone? No, no, no. That's a. But the bigger question is: Does it come through Skype, or does it come through Vaughn Live or Uvu? How well, do you spell Vaughn Uvu? Live. I, I'm, I'm sure you know. I wonder. Well, how do you spell Uvu? Just how it's pronounced. O O V U. No, no. O O V O O. O O V U is how it's pronounced. Uvu. No, no. no that's Uvu. Okay. It's Uvu. 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 It's Uvu. <laughs> But, here, but here's what is I mean. Is that Uvu? It's Uvu. 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 Do you know the name is so, so, so important? Um, so important because uh, the example I always like to give is Rain Dance. Rain Dance. Rain Dance. The best name for anything. Yeah. And when something well, is. What? Never to be left behind. Uh, joining us is Alfred Lemberg. Lemberg? Alfred. Hey! Alfred. How's it going there, buddy? We get this in and all us in Ordnung. Nicht so schlecht. Wow. The only, German I, the only German I know uh, sounds anti-Semitic, so I'm not saying it. Oh, does it? I'm just, uh, you know, trying to go, uh, or, or rather get better and better as, as time goes on. But the reason that I called is uh, it's blown up here in the on the internets. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. This, uh, I had Taco Bell last night. This... I'm sorry about that. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, Vis-a-vis this uh, Posner-Hillary Clinton uh, disclosure thing and uh, the UFO angle that she's trying to prosecute. And and I was interested in what uh, Bill was thinking about that and what his thoughts might be. Well, what's fascinating is save your question for when Paul Davids comes on because it was Paul Davids' father who was uh, in the um, economics um, uh, um, uh, uh, ministry uh, Mm -hmm. in Bill Clinton's cabinet. And supposedly gave him um, UFO books to read, and that's really what caught Hillary's interest. And of course, John Podesta uh, was the chief of staff in the Clinton administration, and was part of Leslie Kane's lawsuit into into what NASA had in its files about the Kecksburg crash. So Podesta has been pushing for um, citizens to get UFO secrets. Or citizens get secrets in general. He's a very open records kind of a guy. And so supposedly when Hillary was asked in New Hampshire about whether she was going to reveal the truth about UFOs, and of course she's been seen with UFO books. Um, she was, she spoke to Lawrence Rockefeller about his UFO initiative. And of course that's something Paul can speak to. Paul Davids can speak to certainly uh, with more authority than I can. But she has um, ev- evidenced an interest in UFOs, as did Bill, but 
the thing you want to ask yourself is how much of a cover is that only because, and we only have, well, we have 10 minutes, is that presidents from Harry Truman forward have really been quite open about their interest in UFOs. Harry Truman, if you're looking for disclosure from the White House, um, you don't need a Hillary Clinton or a Bernie Sanders or a uh, Barack Obama to disclose because Harry Truman actually made that disclosure in public on television in 1950. Among um, others and in a manner of ways too. Right. So there was Harry Truman. There was supposedly the story of Richard Nixon and Jackie Gleason. There was John F. Kennedy's memo to um, his uh, senior military staff telling them to disclose their secrets there was Marilyn Monroe's threat, and of course, Paul Davids, our guest tonight, is going to be talking about Marilyn Monroe. There was her threat to Bobby Kennedy that she'd tell the truth about the little people being held captive at Area 51 that crashed in New Mexico. And of course, there was Jerry Ford going to the um, Science Committee, uh, Science and Technology Committee of the House, demanding hearings on UFOs. And, of course, there's Ronald Reagan's UFO sighting, two sightings, Jimmy Carter's UFO sighting. So we really have had a lot of disclosure. And, of course, Jimmy Carter went public with his sighting. Ronald Reagan went public with his sighting. So really we've had a lot of, a lot of disclosure. So, um, but if Hillary Clinton is going to tell the truth, I don't think that she can – because I think it is classified at a level of secrecy way beyond the presidency. Which kind That's of segues into the next thing, too, is that I was going to ask you if you thought it was fair to say that Bill Clinton's uh, presidency really began to s start its uh, uh, destruction vis-a-vis -vis the Republicans and their interest in really getting them out of there, it seems to me about the time that he got interested in uh, UFOs and sent his uh, chief of staff over to find out what was going on with it. Well, can you, can, can you, do you think that it's, it, 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 it's, it's fair to say that uh, Bill Clinton's trouble started about that time? No, I think that Bill Clinton's trouble started well before well before that. I mean, remember, Bill Clinton was never a majority president until his second term. He was and a he had, he had been getting president. into issues even in Arkansas when he was, you know, governor or whatever. Right, right. So, so this, mean, uh, this started, uh, his behavior this, had been a pattern for years. Not UFO issues. No, no, no. Right? But I mean, no, not, not UFO UFOs. related. No, Women no. But related. I mean, no, right. But what I'm saying is that that um, he um, he he had an interest long before, but the the interesting aspect about the Clinton administration and UFOs would be this question. Right after the Phoenix Lights, and remember this is now, we are now in Clinton's second term, or we're, um, and right after the um, Phoenix Lights, or, or the night of the Phoenix Lights, the night of the Hale-Bopp Comet, so a lot of things happened together, Bill Clinton was staying at a friend's house and he basically disappears from view, completely disappears. The cover story is that he'd hurt his ankle. There was a big hubbub, obviously, you remember that. And the governor of Arizona, Fife Symington, decides to convene a press conference. But the morning of the day, he 
The press conference was in the afternoon. In the morning of that day, I was told by Francis, by city councilman, Phoenix city councilman, Francis Barwood. This is, this is after Bill Clinton totally disappears from view on that night. He cannot be found. Well, he says he's at a friend's house because he hurt his ankle. So Francis Barwood asks the, the other question. Fife Symington has a, um, goes into court, according to Francis Barwood. He's in judges' chambers, and he's discussed. Remember, he was convicted of corruption or co- a convicted of something. So he was convicted in a federal crime. He goes into court. He goes into the judges' chambers, and they're discussing whatever legal matters he has to discuss. Uh, Francis Barwood believed it was his sentencing, but she's not sure. So I can't be definitive. But they're discussing something. That afternoon, he has the press conference where his chief of staff dresses up like an alien. Then years later, he apologizes for that and admits I saw that, that he yeah. actually saw the craft. That was yeah. an interview that John – that. Um, James Fox and I had with him on UFO Hunters. Mm-hmm. Well, but one of the things he says is Bill Clinton gave him a complete pardon. Was the pardon in exchange for the prank he played in that press conference with his chief of staff, where he made fun of all the people who claimed to have seen the, the Phoenix Lights? That's my contention. He would not admit that, but he did uh-huh. let us know that he received a pardon from President Clinton um, immediately upon, and then his sentence was thrown out to begin with. But anyway, that's let, let the me story. ask you real fast, just completely off the off the off the topic, um, Al. You, uh, I believe, your Twitter was hacked yesterday. Yes. How did that happen? Yeah. Tell actually. us. Tell us. How does this happen? Because well, I, I I had turned anyway. Long story. And Tyler, really we shout out to the topic, Tyler. But yeah, that's a, no, but it, but 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 before we lose our our momentum here, and besides, I I, I, know I have absolutely no from, idea how it from happened. Clinton to Twitter being it was just one of those things. I wake up uh, one morning and uh, people are writing me letters saying, "Hey, why are you sending me all this bad porn?" <laughs> oh no, really, porn? You too? There's like four people that I know that happened to. Yeah, and you know what yeah, else? Yeah. Oh, the dark well, it matter. On Twitter, but it happened it, on Facebook to a couple of friends. It happened on Twitter, a friend of mine. Go ahead, sorry. What happened on? It definitely happened on Twitter with dark matter. You know how Keith is very, uh-huh. he's very protective, and yeah, yeah, all of a sudden, the most amazing porn was going by. It was like, whoa! Does anybody know about this? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> wow, are you serious? That's I'm what happened to stuff. me. I'm taking I notes. Got, I got attacked by kitty porn, and I had Aww. cats all over. I had little kittens. They were in these horrible positions. Wait, my kitten. Wait, 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 wait. Kitty it, porn? What? A K I T T. Okay, joke. Joke. Wait, I had to go in your hunting. I have a joke. Wait, hang on. I do. I did look it up. Wait, let me just find it now. Continue with pace and see if I can find it. Jokes. Yes, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> okay. Um, Anybody with kitty porn anyway, is so very, very messed up in subject. the head. Go ahead. So, okay, um, so yeah, I, I asked two. Leslie Kane about <laughs> did John Podesta really believe in UFOs, and she said no, that it wasn't a question of that it was a wrong question to ask. She told me that the issue was not so much that he believed or didn't believe in the existence of UFOs. It was that he believed that since NASA was a publicly funded en- um, entity and trans- 
And NASA's transparency was paramount. It was not the CIA, not the DE, uh, not the DIA, that they had to be transparent in what they knew. And since NASA was at the crash of, um, of that object in Kecksburg, NASA retrieved the object. NASA had to come clean with what it knew. And that was his position. Not so much, let's tell the truth about UFOs, but what really happened at Kecksburg and why is NASA withholding the information? NASA had a way of burying the information in any event, but at the very least, Leslie Kane and John Podesta won their lawsuit. And so now that Hillary Clinton, so so since John Podesta is now so deeply involved with the campaign, it was a natural question for the reporter up in Concord, New Hampshire to ask whether Hillary was going to tell the truth about UFOs. And in fact, she had been briefed on UFOs um, as part of the Lawrence Rockefeller Initiative. Yeah, and, and just to go and to bring, it, and to bring it back to Paul, by the by, Paul Davids is responsible for, I'd say, the iconic movie. Um, it's the Roswell movie. Yeah, the Roswell movie, exactly. With Kyle MacLachlan. And, and it's, um, it's a war. Martin Sheen. And Martin Sheen. If here's, you the, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. With Hillary Clinton, I mean, what is how much know? can we take? How much? No, how much can we take her at her word I'll that stop. she will say anything? She won't if she does. She won't. Out. She won't. won't. I don't think she will. That's the thing. I think not it's all BS. Because no, and I no, think I think it's a good not BS. I think that she fully intends to talk about it. No, I don't and think so. And I think so. that when she mm-hmm. arrives, I think the she's open, using the subject to get votes. No, no I agree with you. Me too. If you yeah. want to get votes, legalize pot for God's sake. No, yeah. she's she's for that too. She's what? for everything that can get her votes. Are you kidding me? Then we're voting. Can, look, 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 Bill. Somebody can come out tomorrow and say, "Look, the majority of the population believes that you should shave your dogs and have them bald all the time." And then you know what? Hillary Clinton would come on saying, "Shaving your your cats and your dogs bald is a good idea." She'll be all for it. She is for anything that can get her votes. All these guys are like that. Not just her. They're all like that. They're, and so, when they, when he actually so comes to them to become president, it's all BS. Build a wall and let no Mexicans in. I'm yeah, gonna, I like. I like. I like you really think it's gonna, You really think the Mexicans are going to pay for the wall, Bill? Pay for the wall. Of course they're, they're not. Pay for the wall. That's exactly. Like they should get the Mexicans. They, they, they're all full of it. But that's the they whole point. All they're all full, full of it. Right. And they're all using it to get the votes. Wall, the wall just got 20 feet higher, you guys. Yeah. And the Mexicans got to pay for it. Pay for it, Mexicans. They should get the Mexicans. Yeah, quit your whining. Say so no, they should get the Mexicans to build it, and it would never get done because Mexicans won't bother. See, that uh, would be the beauty of it. They would just take his money and say, "Yeah, right, we'll get to it." Nobody's taking any money. And yeah, it's not. Mexico it's not. Our is money. not yeah, building anyway, the wall, that, yeah. and they're not yeah. going to build a wall to begin with. And okay, before you even talk about the stupid wall, could I suggest <laughs> one thing? No, no, no. That the wall will have to be built on land not owned by Mexico and not owned by the United States, but on private land. So you're going to have to compensate roughly 1,500 to 2,000 miles of, of, of border ownership to um, acquire the rights for that We should land. just do a force field or like, Ooh. you know, an electric fence. I like fence. that idea. Yes. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the invisible, and we, what we need is a bubble, like a dome, like on the show Dome. Oh, Remember the, the yeah. show that was on TV? Yes. We need a dome over there. Oh, United yeah, States. that's a big That worked dome. out well for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of more Well, like, some people want to see the world burn, man, you know? I was thinking like Total Recall when they just put something around their neck and they make it past the perimeter and bam. Well, yeah. that came from Star Trek. 
Well, they are. You're, or, you know. The thrall surrenders. Hey, it's the bottom of the hour, and we're going to bring our guest on, Paul Davids. Before Alfred leaves and listens to the show, Alfred, do you have any news from your many fronts? Because you really are a UFO node, okay? A node. Well, you know, I aspire to that, Nancy. But the (laughs) thing is, I I have uh, absolutely nothing nothing to say that I could pack into the time. Okay, so we have, but but here here's what I'm looking at you for. I'm looking at you for abduction information vis-a-vis Jacobs that and Emma Woods. I'm looking at you for John Ford information. I finally have made a breakthrough. We're on our way. We're going to have something finally. And what else besides John Ford? And uh, what else? You've got a oh Frank Frank Fashino. Any Frank Fashino news? No. Yeah, mein Stormstucker. Okay. okay, but you get it. You get it. You get it. <laughs> Say something sexy in German. How would you woo someone in German? Uh, how would you come, woo come someone? Come to here mit deiner Hose in der Hand. Ah, oh, that's uh, nice. cute. That's nice. Oh, wow. And with that, <laughs> it gives me chills. Oh, you're straightening out my Longfellow. It is, <laughs> it is the bottom of the hour. Oh. It is oh. the bottom of the hour. And we uh, are going to take a station break, listen to these commercials, uh, come back and join us. And when you come back, we will be back with our guest, Paul Davids, on Future Theater Live on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. No changing channels. See you on the other side. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954 973 3374. That's 954 973 3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of and more. SupermanHomePage.com Here's a riddle for you. What did the California gold rush of the 1850s 
secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A. A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. And we are back on Future Theater Live on PSN Radio on the Dark Matter Digital Network with our guest, Paul Davids. Paul J. Davids, filmmaker, artist, writer. Um, so uh, thanks for joining us, Paul. Appreciate it. Bill, uh, you and I go back a long way to the Roswell case and Colonel In- Corso, don't we? Indeed we do. Indeed we do. But um, hey, um, how, did you back- guys, how did you guys meet? Did we first meet? Uh, no, no, we we met. No, we. I think we met through UFO magazine before Roswell, before before the summer of uh, Corso. No, what year was that? No, the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah, nineteen ninety seven. That was nineteen ninety seven. Okay. But we All definitely right. weren't connected with the magazine until then because. Uh, uh, Vicki Ecker interviewed Bill for that book, and that's how we all right, met. Right, that's how so we, we started Eckers was, was that stuff. interview. But I, uh, what I wanted to ask Paul was, um, but you you have known Forrest Ackerman for I since mean, I was thirteen years old. Yeah, I was going to say for, for for like fifty years. Yes. So um, so describe Forrest. I mean, I knew of him because obviously I was getting famous monsters of film land and I knew his career and everything else. But I mean, you really, um, knew the man's mind. I sure did. I mean, he was the Pied Piper of science fiction going back to, uh, well, I mean, he, he got involved with science fiction before we were born. You know, he, 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 he was born in, 1916, he grew up with silent movies, Mm -hmm. and Famous Monsters magazine came along in 1958, and I was uh, swept away as a kid by the magazine, and I first met him at the World Science Fiction Convention in Washington, D.C. He had taken a cross-country trip to meet fans, and I was certainly one of those fans. You know, he, he was the biggest promoter of science fiction, fantasy, and horror, and probably the biggest collector Mm-hmm. Uh, there ever was back in those days, and, and, and you 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 visited his house at some point. Yeah, I, I um, after I graduated from Princeton, Yay. I went to the <laughs> uh, American Film Institute Center for Advanced Film Studies. So I was then based in Los Angeles. I visited his Acker Mansion, where all of these collectibles were. Uh, you know, uh, Ray Bradbury called it the Fort Knox of science fiction. Well, wow. how, how big a place was it? was 18 rooms oh. and almost every room absolutely crammed with science fiction memorabilia whether wow. it's posters or models or masks or 
you know, original monsters from the movies, uh, lots of books, posters, lobby cards, file cabinets, and this included the bathrooms. Wow. Wow. The bathrooms. And was, there, he, const- was he constantly collecting? Was it always an ever-changing yes. kind of a thing? Yeah, he was always – well, he did many things. I mean, he collected – he was uh, the editor of the magazine. He was an agent for science fiction writers. Right. But he was at the center of everything having to do with science fiction and horror, film and literature for decades. And so the influence he had on my generation, and particularly you know, the, the filmmakers who grew up reading his magazine, many came to define – Science fiction movies, fantasy films. I mean, it, 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 the list is incredible. It includes Lucas, Spielberg, Dennis Murin, who mm-hmm. ran the effects for uh, Industrial Light and Magic, 10 Academy Awards, uh, Rick Baker, 10 Academy Awards, a special makeup artist, uh, Guillermo del Toro, Peter Jackson, who helped me with my movie, The Sci Fi Boys, which was about Fari's influence. Yes. My, you know, my theory basically is that. I mean, today we have this multi-billion-dollar movie business. It's all based around special effects, and most of them have monsters or spaceships, different kinds of fantasy, or monsters on spaceships, <laughs> or both. Yes, those yeah. are my favorites. So, <laughs> so the point is, it's a multi-billion-dollar business, and the people that control that business, that are the creative forces in it, were all influenced by the Pied Piper, Forrest J. Ackerman, without exception. So he was the ringleader, and as a kid, I entered a contest in this magazine. I was a winner. I got publicity when I was like 14 years old. Naturally, I became a producer. I went to Hollywood. What else was <laughs> I going to do? Sure. Now you now you're living in Washington, or where were you living at the time? But wait, yeah, uh, in the case of the in the oh, case in the yeah, case yeah. of the contest, what did you have to do? Was it a writing contest? It was or- really it was really funny. Uh, Fari's favorite director was Fritz Lang, who ah. did. Uh, and uh, his favorite film was Metropolis. But of Fritz course. Lang also did a film called Siegfried about the blonde god of you know German mythology. Mm-hmm. So far, he wrote a script, a little twelve-page script called Siegfried Saves Metropolis. And for four dollars, and mind you, that was a week allowance in those days. You could send in and get the script, and do your own version of the movie in eight millimeter. We had no video. There was no sound. It was all silent. You invented your own special effects. And, you know, my friend, I found actually my budget for that movie. And it included items like $2 for uh, a baby doll to get the eyes to use for a dragon. Right. Okay, cool. So, you know, we made the movie for somewhere between $60 and $100, my friend Jeff and I, Jeff Tinsley. And uh, so we were chosen as one of the winners. And that was a defining thing for me. But I think, you know, the key thing... Because, you know, I have this new book, the uh, An Atheist in Heaven, and Fari is the atheist. Mm-hmm. Right. He left us in 2008, and we had a tribute for him in 2009. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, he was an atheist. He wrote about ghouls and spooks and ghosts and the undead, and he didn't believe in any of it, you know. Um, and he was proud of being an atheist. But he did concede to me, and he even put it in writing – was even published posthumously, uh, saying, you know, you'll read this after I'm gone. I'm an atheist. I don't believe there's any afterlife. And then he said, but just in case I'm wrong, 
And that was the whole point. You know, he was willing to admit he could be wrong. He said, maybe I'll wake up to some incredible science fiction convention in the sky and I'll meet up with George Powell and Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi and Peter Lorre and on and on and on and on. And he said, you know, if that happens, sooner or later the party will die down. He said, well, maybe I'll drop you a line. And he said, but, but don't count on it. You know, so it was almost, it was a half joke. But my life changed starting in 2009. This is all documented in an atheist. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is the, right, this is exciting. And it was documented before in a film I made, which is still available. It was called The Life After Death Project. It was on sci-fi. Then I did a sequel. There's a two-pack DVD. It was this story that after he died, weird, really weird stuff happened to me and some others who knew him, particularly those who made films about him. We couldn't predict when it would happen or what it would be, but when it happened, we knew it because, uh, Bill, it really was like being visited by a friendly ghost. And it's continued. That's the point. 2013, when the movie came out, I documented everything up till then. It's now 2016, and incidents have even happened in the last couple of weeks. They don't so, stop, and the book is full of them. I've, I've got a uh, glossary at the end with a listing of about, uh, well, there's almost 150 paranormal things. Well, what, was the what was the first one? The first one was really big because there was physical evidence. It was a week after his tribute. First, I, I want to say that the Canadian filmmakers that made his biography, they had something weird happen to them after they visited his crypt, and they told me what happened to them. I, I won't go into that right now, but mm -hmm. what happened to me was I was in this house I'm in now in Santa Fe uh, about a week after the grand tribute for him at the Egyptian Theater. A thousand people were there. It was, I mean, they filled every seat, and I was one of the speakers there along with Ray Bradbury and Guillermo del Toro and uh, John Landis and even Peter Jackson checked in mm -hmm. by video from, uh, uh, from New Zealand. So you asked what the incident was. I was alone in this house. I had printed out a document for tax purposes, 24 pages, phone calls, business meetings, looking for deductions. I did the print command on the computer, 24 pages. I didn't wait. I went out. I had dinner. I was at a casino. I came home. So obviously the ink was dry. Mm. And I checked it over, and there was nothing unusual about this document. And I tossed it on my bed, and I went into the bathroom. And when I came out of the bathroom, the document had been visibly changed. This was the, one of the most shocking incidents mm. in my life. It was life-transforming because five no four words had been deliberately blacked out in the document now and the ink was still moist and it was very neatly done at two different levels of blackness you could read kind of two words through this ink or whatever it was two words completely blacked out hmm. still moist so it had just happened and it was so neat and precise it was obvious those four words had been chosen i was alone in the house there was no one who possibly could have done it and my life changed from that point on. I, I eventually figured out that this was coded as one of his puns. It was a perfect greeting. Uh, it was his kind of a thank you for the tribute. Mm -hmm. And uh, I regarded this as important evidence, a tiny little ink obliteration on paper. But wait, what were the words? Okay, 
the words were spoke to Joe Amode or Joe Amode. Okay, I, I hardly know Joe Amade. I'd spoken to him once on the phone. He was a video distributor in New York. Wow. I was asking him about one of Wait, my that films. That just gives me chills. Now, tell, Dan, you're going to say you contacted this fellow, right? No. What happened – well, I had called him once to ask him, was he interested in, in, in do, distributing right, a right. film? He, and he, he wasn't, and that was the end of it. I never talked mm-hmm. to him again. So the incredible mystery, why, why, if a ghost comes from the afterlife to black out four words of the document, tell me about somebody – I mean, even if Joe – Amode, God bless him, had died. Why tell me? You know, mm-hmm. I hardly knew the guy. But you have to understand, and this dawned on me in a shocking way, his caretaker for the last 10 years of his life, for his right-hand man, mm-hmm. his name is Joe Moe. Joe arranged the tribute. Joe did everything. Fari loved Joe. Even in his parting words that he wrote, saying, you'll read this after I'm gone, he thanked Joe Moe. Mm-hmm. And Fari was into puns and names within names and words within words. Famous Monsters is full of it. It was his shtick. It That's was true. his thing. I remember that. Yeah. And the name Joe Mo is right there in Joe Amodi. Hmm. So when he said spoke to Joe Amodi, he was telling me, oh, by the way, Paul, I spoke to Joe Mo, thanked hmm. him for the tribute. Joe Mo had had an apparition, a full blown apparition of Fari coming to thank him for the tribute, shook him to the core. He, he's an atheist too. He well, a skeptic, a doubter. He didn't. He said it was. It had the form of like a super real dream, you know, mm-hmm. maybe almost like an LSD experience. Kind well, of now thing. did this did this marking on the paper? Did it have sharp edges as though it were sort of like a thick calligraphy pen or a sharpie? Well, actually, um, the scientists think it was done by some kind of brush, but it was. It was neatly done. You know, it was, mm-hmm. uh, the, it was blacked out within the lines. And, mm-hmm. you know, right. the words spoke. You have the, the, the little tail of the P comes down below. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't come down to block out the little tail of the P. It just went straight across. Straight across. Right. Mm-hmm. And so here's the important thing. I have a cousin who at that time was chairman of the chemistry department of uh, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Jay Siegel was one of the most important chemists in the country, testified in countless uh, legal cases where chemistry is involved, has written forensic chemistry textbooks. See, when I called Jay and told him about this, he invited me to come to the lab. I I brought the paper to him, and we started in his laboratory and then he got Dr. John Allison, who wrote a chapter of An Atheist in Heaven. He wrote a chapter in the book. Um, he's College of New Jersey, but the two guys were together at Michigan State University in the chemistry department forever. These guys had run a several-year project on inks, paints, and dyes, solvents. They were world-class experts in these things. They thought they could figure out what happened to my document quickly. Bottom line is... Three years later, they were both going on record as saying this is a total mystery to science. They cannot reproduce it. That there are complications about the chemistry. Wow. Okay, we get into this a lot in the book. Wow, cool. In a chapter written by chemist John Allison. But here's part of the brunt of it. The the, uh, ink was mainly the ink that was on the page. 
from that came from the computer, but it had a couple of compounds that weren't there, like silver and barium chromate. Mm. The key problem was how would there ever have been enough ink or what solvent could be used to completely black out two words? Because the ink had to be drawn off of the ink that was already there on the page. And no matter what solvent they used, and I think they tried a thousand of them. I mean, they worked on this for years. Well, um, Paul, they when could you never first, duplicate it. It when was you a first, mystery to science. Right. Yeah. When you first saw it, do you remember there being any scent? No, I, I, I don't have a good sense of smell. I, I, I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> and I was frightened. Because fancy really ink, bright. many times you could, you know, like printer's ink, you might, or mimeograph ink would be blackout ink, whiteout. Yeah. They all have scents. No, you know, I probably wouldn't have noticed that even if it did. But here's the here's the key point: it was a communication sure, that had no. every earmark of the quality of Fari's humorous personality, and it was an appropriate thank you at an appropriate time, just after. The tribute and something really equally weird happened to two other filmmakers who'd made a movie about him, who rapped on his script and heard from him within an hour. Now, um, I've sworn an affidavit at the beginning of this book because I want people to know everything I've said and described and testified. Also, to you took really. a you took an oath at Princeton. Uh, we all did never to uh, lie, cheat, or steal. Basically. You know, um, uh, you could you could take your exam out to the yard and do it. You know, you, you know, could do it I, at home. I would, I, yeah, yeah, that was our honor system in Princeton. Honor, but I took that yeah, very and seriously. I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here on the radio <laughs> and tell your audience that I never cheated, stole, or what was the other one? Cheat, well, steal, the most or importantly, lied, lied, no, lied. No, we all tell law firm rob, cheat, and steal. Yeah, We all tell lies sometimes, but this yeah. is the point. Why have I done this for these right. years of work and this dedication <laughs> to recording everything? It's because I have this responsibility on my shoulders that people need to know the truth about this, that, that there is life after death, that our personality survives the death of the body and goes on in some other form, in some other realm. It has the ability to communicate with those it left behind. Well, now, now did you try to communicate with Fari. Yes, I have. Um, I have many times tried to communicate with Fari, and I think that he's been responsive sometimes. That's the question. Yeah, that's the yeah. The yeah. That was yeah. what I was looking for. Yeah. Well, we set up a system actually. You know, Gary Schwartz co-authored the book with me. Right. And he documents that there's basically, I think, four main types of studies of life after death. There's reincarnation, where we're not really dealing with that. Mm -hmm. There's uh, synchronicities. There's physical evidence, physical manifestations, objects moving, appearing, disappearing. And there is what they call instrumental transcommunication, which Im implies that intelligences unseen by us, but occupying perhaps the same space as us, are using our technological equipment, our computers, our video cameras, uh, tape recorders, whatever it might be, to signal us. That's what EVP is, electronic voice phenomenon. And so... And it's a uh, science fiction um, thought based on, I mean, I'm thinking Philip K. Dick. Um, a lot of people feel that there's, there's a ghost in the machine. Yeah, and that that's some it. people there can is. communicate with it. That some, I mean, the deeper. Did, 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 yeah. didn't Phil, did Philip K. Dick write the Adjustment Bureau? 
Was that his? I believe so. I believe so. See, but that I was so telling. While, yeah, I believe so. I'll check while we're talking. Because that was like science fiction, which has become true. And it's it's well, like that there are Wait, Before you do that, let me just say this. He was, uh, he thought he was being followed. The CIA actually went into his house and moved things around just to mess with him. And that's all in the records now. His, ben- his, Paul Benowitz? You caught yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. No, 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 this no, is, no, no. This Phil is Phil K. Dick. K. Dick. You say. Oh, it happened. Oh, he thought it happened to him. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, and, and so he's our premier paranoia writer. Okay. For sure. Yet, yet, you know, when you're paranoid, sometimes people really are following you and messing with you and changing your furniture. You know, uh, but a, a, yeah. apart from the, a, that, the dark side of this, the paranoia, paranoia side, I, I, I want to point out that, you know, I'm not a religious person. But but in in religions, you know, forever they've talked about guardian angels mm-hmm. uh, and, and the idea that an angel can intervene in your life. And I've heard stories of people who were drowning and they claim that an, an angel saved them. And, you know, there are all kinds of stories that you hear. You never know what's true, but people are very sincere when they tell you mm-hmm. what 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 my life experience uh, and the scientific results the data you know tells me now is just this very important thing that w- that there are unseen intelligences that have the capacity to interact with us and influence our lives too that that too and it's momentous it's momentous yeah and and that's the purpose of why did i write an atheist in heaven i wish it would be read by scientists chemists skeptics the skeptic society mm-hmm. um you know, I know Michael Shermer, uh, yeah. president of the, the Skeptics, uh, or he's well, executive CISOP. director. Yeah, CISOP, yeah. Executive director, the Skeptic Society. Mm-hmm. That's not the same as that's not the same as uh, Society. For, I don't know. Psychop is a little something else, but he's the publisher of Skeptic Magazine too, mm-hmm. and he was in my film, The Life After Death Project, and you know he. he, he 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 contributed well to that. He had some good points. He's a negative kind of guy, though. He's very yeah. much a downer. Well, he listened to everything I had to say. We had a long lunch together, and he he even wrote a nice note that's in the beginning of my book that he respects my uh, my honesty and the integrity of my search. So he has acknowledged. I'm not making this up. I'm not a liar. He just says, look, I disagree with your conclusions about what the data means. But he has no way to explain it, and he has no other answers. So right, and he can't discount the whole rest of your life that happened before this when you were a perfectly sane, productive member of society. It's not as though suddenly I, – I, I hope I'm still a productive member of society, but maybe a little less sane by conventional standards. Well, just, just before, yeah. you, before you move off um, – doctor says you're getting better, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well do, you, well, do you feel there's a they out there that have a vested interest in keeping the truth from people? We're talking about dark forces and stuff. Um, you know, why does the world work the way it works, and so forth? I, I, I that's hard. That's really asking me to really speculate. Um, and you know, in the case of this afterlife communication, you're talking about dark forces. I would ask the question of, okay, why? Can't somebody just appear before me and say exactly what they mean? Why does it have to be an incident that is symbolic and right. I have to decode? Why? Well, Jung would and, tell you why. 
Well, my, my answer to that is that the communication is a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like, I mean, now we can communicate with our rover on Mars, right, at a certain frequency. We know how to do it. But before that, we couldn't have communicated with anybody or anything on Mars. You know, we, we and, and, and I think it's hard the, the accomplishing this uh, connecting between the, if you permit me to say, the two worlds. Right, they say right. the other side. Uh, I don't or think just it's your, necessarily just something your... dark um, or nefarious or evil. I just think that there are unseen intelligences that have the desire to communicate and reach out. Um, and, it, and it's not as easy as Skyping as we're doing well, right now. Well, one of the things that um, Thomas Edison in in um as he approached the last decade of his life i mean he also had a near death experience in 1931 he'd lapsed into a coma and then he this is in fort myers florida and then he awoke and um he said to his wife and his children who were gathered there he said you know that my quest has been fulfilled i know there's life after death and so he had had his near-death experience and, and, uh, uh, when he was in a coma. But in 1920, Thomas Edison, there was a race going on um, between Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla. Tesla, in his journals, wrote that since radio waves are eternal, mm-hmm. that theoretically there should be a frequency at which you could hear voices of people who've departed. He mm-hmm. believed that there was a frequency. Mm-hmm. Edison took another approach. Edison said there is a science to the afterlife. He wrote this thing. It's in his journal. Um, folks can read it. It's on the internet. He said that um, um, all things on this planet and this planet itself were inhabited by these things he called life units. Now, this is coming at a time when Einstein is, is creating his, his, um, his special and general theories of relativity. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like quantum entanglement wouldn't be a real theory until 1935, but it was in the wind. And so Edison is writing about how electrons can, co- uh, 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 can basically are cohesive with each other. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting that you're, in a way, talking about some of the similar things these guys were onto at the beginning of the 20th century. And it goes back to the days of the spiritualists. Oh, sure. Who, have, who had their seances and their mediums and uh, their automatic writing, and they were so debunked and attacked and maligned. And, of course, uh, let's be honest, a lot of them were frauds, mm-hmm. but, but, but not all. And, you know, the literature is rich with scientists in those days uh, and also Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, who, who said, uh, you know, we don't believe in life after death. We know. We know. He, mm-hmm. he, Conan Doyle, you know, heard from uh, deceased son from right. the war. And Lady so, Doyle, and Lady Doyle um, claimed to be a trans channeler. Yeah. But Houdini came along, and he attacked all of, of this. Uh, he said he was open for evidence if he could see it, but he'd never seen it. Well, Gary Schwartz, my co-author, thinks that he's been communicating with Harry Houdini in his laboratory. And he's using sensors, and he speaks to Harry Houdini, and there are responses that come on a bar graph. And then he, he had a few spirits he was communicating with, 
using a technology that he developed and was experimenting with. And then he added Forrest J. Ackerman to the roster. Mm-hmm. And this is in my movie, The Life After Death Project, because you can see on screen live these instances of the communication attempted with Fari, where Fari, if it's him, he's supposed to respond with an energy burst that goes to three levels on the bar graph. And it happens. It happens in response to his questions. It's like you're getting yeses and nos. Um, and when you say bar graph, are you, uh, can you describe what you mean by that? Well, Gary has developed software where uh, on a computer he has a graph with, with uh, lines that go to certain levels, each one indicating an intensity of uh, an electromagnetic response. He's measuring some kind of radiation in some cases. And he's measuring it with something like... Very, very delicate sensors. Some of these uh, sensors are extremely expensive. Uh, Sometimes he does it in a dark box with a black box within a box within a box. And yet photons still get through there. Uh, And sometimes he does it uh, just in his laboratory with sensors uh, attached to uh, the corners of a computer screen. And he, he does baseline experiments to block to, you know get an evaluation of background noise to take that into consideration so he can determine what's a real signal. It's cutting-edge research. Uh, it has a long way to go, but it, it's very trailblazing. He, well, it, he would be, it would be a signal in an audio, an audio range or in a light? No, you, no, you, you wouldn't hear it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, it would be only these sensors. It might be gamma radiation. Would pick it up and then would register it as how strong was that reg- was that uh, uh, impulse? It would show a certain height on the bar graph wow. up to okay. level one, two, three. He would say like, okay, a four on the bar graph. He'd call that hitting the ball out of the park. Well, were you communicating in real time and watching the bar graph change? I wasn't there when that experiment was done. He filmed it. He sent it to me. Mm. I'll tell you one of the things. Because uh, there's been so many different types of communication. Um, oh, some of the things that have happened are just absolutely just staggering. I mean, I mean, you can't imagine. But I, I'll tell you a, a couple of simple ones. Yeah, that, please uh, do. Masks. Well, there were, th- I think, three masks involved in my experience with this. One of them was a mask of Fari's face. I bought it at his estate sale. It had been on a dummy of Fari in the Acker Mansion for a long, long time. The dummy had the uh, uh, reconstruction resembling the costume he wore to the first World Science Fiction Convention in 1939. So I had this mask. I kept it in the same place in my home office. It hadn't moved for four years. You know, there was dust what it's on top of. Mm-hmm. That's where it was. Well, the day I got the call telling me the Life After Death Project was accepted to be on uh, the sci-fi. Sci- sci- yeah. I went out to lunch it was a long lunch, an hour and a half. There was nobody in my house and nobody in my office in the house. When I came home, the mask had moved 10 feet across the office, the mask of Fari's face. <laughs> and that wasn't all that happened during that time period. These things, they coalesce where three, four, five, six things all will happen within the same five or 10 minute period. And then bang, it's over. <laughs> and it's like it never happened. But on that day, when I went out for lunch, a car swerves right in front of me with a license plate that says F- uh, AM loves FM. And that could have meant anything to the person that got the mm-hmm. license plate. But when you think of, you know, Ackerman loves FM, famous monsters, mm-hmm. 
I have a sign in my office about Ackerman and FM. That's him. And then when the mask moved, I come into my office. The computer shuts itself down. When I boot it up, I have two screens. Both screens have folders open that were not open before. Both of them are about Ackerman. Wow. I've had times where I come down in the morning, my computer's been asleep overnight, and there's a photo of Ackerman. This happened, a photo of him with director Joe Dante filling my screen. I <laughs> I had that in my hard drive. I didn't open it. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have been it shouldn't have been there. <laughs> this is instrumental transcommunication. I had an incident with a mask in my dining room, a Huichol bead mask where uh, we had a party at the house. People saw this. Somebody made an innocent comment, and I turned it into a sign of a dark, perverse joke, just the kind that Fari loved, and I knew that. And at the instant of my punchline, when everyone broke out laughing, this flat, beaded mask that was attached to the wall basically leaped off the wall, went over a uh, lampshade, and landed right at my feet. Mm. And everyone saw it. There was, you know, I mean, I'm very excited as I tell you about this because the mystery. Right, because well, um, that's the whole point. It what flowed. I'm wondering is 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 the initial reaction you get from something like this is it shock, and or fear or awe? Or well, awe? now now it's changed completely. It's no longer shock or fear. The awe is still there. See, yeah. uh, now it, it, I take it. With, with fun. It's like, oh, Fari, you know, thank you. You know, you're here. I'd love to hear from you. And well, do I you play- have to be in a certain frame of mind for this to happen? You have to be no. super in a beta state or something? No, no, not at all. Not, no, I'll just be thinking of something else, doing something else, not paying any attention to this, and bang, something happens. Or there are times when I'm thinking about Fari, when it provokes it too. Let me give you an example. This was kind of recent. I spent an afternoon talking about uh, Fari with two very good friends of his. Unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to me, one of Fari's assistants, um, a, a man named Ron Waite, had passed away just a couple days before. I didn't know that. He was a very kind man to me, and he sent me a lot of Fari memorabilia. Well, I spent the afternoon. We were talking about Fari. I was talking about all these things I'm talking to you about. I get back into my car. I have an iPod in my car. My iPod was set to play Bob Dylan. I had been playing Bob Dylan for two days. Every Bob Dylan song again and again. That iPod is not supposed to go on to play the music of another artist unless you change it. Mm-hmm. You touch it. You find something. You make it happen. But I got into my car and blasting from the iPod mm-hmm. right from the beginning were those really strong notes bah, 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 from the beginning of the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> mm, it's favorite. Well, really. Yeah. I couldn't have found the Phantom of the Opera on my iPod if I searched for it. It was listed under uh, under composers, Andrew Lloyd Webber. It wasn't even listed under the name. And how it got there, you know, it's just another mystery. Like, But there's no more shock or fear or awe. There is a, just this wonderful sense that he's still there. Well, did he help? Well, did he help you as you? Did you um, have the idea to write this book after all these incidents, or did this idea come upon you during the flow of these incidents? 
I mean, they're still occurring, but yeah, um, here's the thing. It wasn't my idea to write the book. It was Gary Schwartz. Okay. I'd made the film. I I was beginning to fatigue of the sense of responsibility to document everything. I'd been doing it for several years at that point. I'd finished the movie. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, I was ready to move on. But Gary said he talked to people in the academic world. They saw the movie and they said, okay, the movie was good. It was interesting. But for academic people, for scientists – a documentary film doesn't do it. You need mm-hmm. to have a book. It's got to be something they can read and consider and take mm-hmm. notes on. And so Gary urged me again and again and again, let's write the book. Do it for Fari. Um, and Fari's going to so much trouble to contact you. you know. So I started to put things down. I started to write. And it dragged. the writing dragged out over three years. And proofreading took three months <laughs> And then finally we're done. So now we have a hardback. By the way, it's it's Amazon.com is where to get it. I mean, right. Atheist in Heaven. Same with Life After Death Project. Mm-hmm. You know, they ordered a bunch of them. They've got the hardback book, mm-hmm. and they've got the Kindle uh, version. Right. So uh, it's easy to uh, access. And I I hope people that are interested in this will. We'll we'll take a look. We'll 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 read it. You know, I, the the level of sincerity behind this couldn't be higher. Well, you know, when when I, let me just say one more. Yeah. Uh, I'm running on here. I'm running on. But no, Whitley please Strieber, go ahead. Whitley Strieber, when he wrote Communion, which was about the weirdness that happened to him with the visitors in that cabin in New York, right, and it was quite a bestseller. Mm-hmm. So many accusations were leveled at him. Oh, maybe he had a brain tumor. Maybe he had uh, epilepsy. Well, he maybe. was a fiction writer. He was a fiction writer. Remember, he was a fiction yeah. writer. Maybe he made it all up, and he's right. just saying it's true. Okay. Now, I've been with Whitley enough to know Whitley tells the truth when he's not writing fiction. Okay. Right. But he was attacked, and people didn't believe it, and they dismissed it. My plea here is I want people to read the book. They've heard it from my lips the sincerity, everything in that book really happened. Nothing's made up, and a lot of it is documented, and scientists have contributed to it. What more do the skeptics want? Okay? Mm-hmm. What more well, do what they-, they want? Well, what they want is the same thing they keep saying about UFOs. What they want is for a ghost to manifest itself on network television, on CNN. Um, and really tell Anderson Cooper what the other side is all about. Well, well, then, they then they would think of special effects. But, but better, something better happened to Michael Shermer. How many of your listeners know that Michael Shermer, head of the Skeptic Society, who writes for Scientific American, monthly column, wrote an article saying uh, something happened which shook my skepticism to the very core. And it happened to him. And what happened to him with his wife's grandfather was so much like what's happened to me with Fari. I would hope at this point that he'd be able to bridge the gap and start to see a pattern here. He was getting married. Except I think what he's doing is an act. I don't think anybody with any intelligence can dismiss a mountain of evidence, which is basically what we've got. I think it's different. I think it's this, that um, one of the things we found in doing some of the true crime books we've written is that people are wired in certain ways so that if you have a belief system 
that you really invest in, I mean, psychologically as well as socially and morally, that when something challenges that belief system, there is almost a neurological reaction that you reject that information. It's not as though you don't see it. You do. But a whole bunch of um, different areas of your brain light up and they are rejecting it. Whereas when there's something that comports with your belief system, a different set of places in your brain light up. So you are hardwired to accept or reject. And it takes a lot of training and a lot of overcoming your own biology to open up to um, certain kinds of things. That, you know, we're seeing this in this election. I mean, you're seeing people actually livid about candidates to the point where you'd say these people are insane, but it's mm-hmm. not. They're wired that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that would explain Shermer. I mean, but, in, with, in, but, but, let, but let me point out that with Shermer, that the incident he wrote about that shook his skepticism to the core, mm-hmm. um, he, he didn't reject it, or I mean, he decided to bring it forth in Scientific American. Right, but in the final analysis, he puts it in his gray basket, and he says, well, "You know, don't understand it, can't explain it. I'm not going to make the leap from that necessarily to build all these fantasy worlds." However, in this case, he came closer than ever before. I, I will synopsize it. He was getting married, I think, to a, a woman named Jennifer Graf. I think he said she was from Germany, raised by her mother and her grandfather. And she, when she came to Pasadena to uh, marry him and uh, start their life together, and she's a skeptic like he is, they transported all of her grandfather's things to Pasadena. There was an old transistor radio that had belonged to her grandfather. And Michael Shermer, I think he spent two days trying to make it work again. He changed the batteries. He checked for solder connections. And finally, he gave up. He stuck the radio in a, in a drawer in their bedroom. So on the day they got married, they say their vows at uh, City Hall. They come back to the house where people are waiting for them to ce- celebrate and say their vows publicly in the house. And just before they say the vows, they hear music. They can't tell where it's coming from. They look all around the house. Oh, and, and here's the other key point. She said, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm lonely here. I wish my grandfather were here to give me away. Mm-hmm. She said that, mm-hmm. wanting the presence of her grandfather and others, invoking the presence of her grandfather. And at that moment, her grandfather's radio started playing a love song. Mm-hmm. And it shocked them. It shocked his skepticism to the core. And he said they didn't touch the radio. It played for 24 hours, and then it never played again. Wow. And he has no explanation. And she said, my grandfather was here to give me a Paul, Paul, don't you think it has something to do with a person's rigidity? And Shermer is a guy who, on that particular day, he was in love, in a special state of mind. You're just yeah. willing to just, you know, it's if you ever saw Joe, Joe versus the volcano, I love the scene where they hold hands and they jump. And I always thought that was a great metaphor for getting married. You just hold hands and just hope. You jump. You, you jump. jump. And, um, yeah, so. And, and by the way, you've been married a really long time to a woman named Hollis, who yes. is sort of a co-writer with you. At yes. times, yes, and um, and a co-producer. Yeah. She's produced, a yeah, yeah. Uh, a number of the movies that I've uh, produced and directed have Hollis as producer, and she is uh, full-time at Universal Pictures, 
right uh, uh, doing their premieres mm-hmm. right you said you said you've gone to more premieres after a while while that's got to be like you know if they had a if they had a Guinness book of records for who has attended the most Hollywood premieres without working the premiere that would be me Wow. Well, I, I, I wanted to ask you, too, um, what is your Marilyn project about? The Marilyn, it's called Marilyn Monroe Declassified. Okay. And I uh, tell the, it's a documentary. It's mm-hmm. 96 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's not out yet, so your viewers will have to wait. Okay. They can get a, they can get a little tease with the trailer at MarilynDeclassified.com. But, uh I tell the story of her life and her career, and I analyze the circumstances of her depth in tremendous detail. Let's, I, I incorporate, well, let's get into that. Yes. Okay. I incorporate the, the best testimony. You see, the thing is, the, the clues that help you figure out, that help me figure out what happened to Marilyn. And I mean, I, everybody, everybody has their own opinion about it. And okay. A lot of those opinions are not going to change regardless of evidence or testimony or argument. But for me, I I didn't know at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I went through every uh, theory. Okay. And the fact is that when she died, everyone was lying about everything having to do with her death. You can hardly find one true word from anybody except the cop who found her body, who said – this is staged. It was a setup. I didn't believe it was suicide for a minute. I think she was murdered. That's right. That cop, Sergeant Clemens, eventually lost his job for being the whistleblower on that one. Mm-hmm. But uh, what happened was as the decades passed, each one of the players in the drama who had secrets that they were holding, that they had lied about, many of them began to let the truth about those things surface. But you'd never find this all put together before because one statement might be on one show on TV. One might be on a radio interview. You know, everything was scattered. So my well, ambition – who are some of the people? Well, um, the, the, I think some of the most important testimony comes from former police chief Thomas Redden, uh, chief of police of Los Angeles. Redden tells us unambiguously that the death was handled as a top secret intelligence operation and that this was done because of the involvement of the Attorney General of the United States, Robert Kennedy. Right. And that those operations are naturally extremely secretive. Mm -hmm. Now. He's telling us there was an official cover-up. There were official lies. Okay. Um, so what did you think of Thomas Noguchi's autopsy of her? Oh, well, it was ab- absolute travesty and sham the way that worked out because so much of the uh, biological evidence, the tissues that he sent to the lab you know, for testing were lost or destroyed before the tests were done. He himself said the case is like a jigsaw puzzle. He called it a probable suicide. Actually, those were the words of Thomas. Was it Thomas? Curfee is the last name of the guy who was actually uh, the head coroner at that time. And Noguchi was maybe a sort of a junior coroner. Then. Right, right. This was 62, right. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, Noguchi said it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, maybe there's a hundred pieces in this jigsaw puzzle, and maybe fifteen of them are missing. And he said, I think it was probable probable suicide, but murder cannot be ruled out. What was so the most telling thing to you about his autopsy report? Uh, the evidence of the purple discoloration, yes, extreme the- inflammation of the colon, uh, that suggested um, anal. Some people were speculating: was there some kind of poisonous enema that was done? No, it was a uh, suppository. Uh, and in my opinion, and people who watch the movie will certainly understand, it's my opinion. It was a murder. And I, uh, I believe that the most important testimony to get to the bottom of it comes from the nephew of Sam Giancana, and the, uh, whose name is Sam Giancana, mm-hmm. and the brother Chuck Giancana. They are related to one of the most famous mobsters in American history. Yeah, Momo Giancana, sure. Yes, Momo was the head of the Chicago syndicate. Right. And he it's the second seen- Mo. Person named Mo. Yeah, another Mo. I can't, I can't, I can't get away from the Mo's in my life, can I? Well, they 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 said that he, um, well, he was in fact uh, collaborating with the CIA secretly at that time. They had right. asked for his help in the as- attempted assassination of Fidel Castro, right? And other things. It wasn't the only thing. So while the FBI was uh, after him. While Bobby Kennedy was ferociously trying to expose him and put him behind bars. But Momo was friends with Joe, Bobby's father. Yes. I don't know if friends is quite the right word, but they went back a long way. They and went they, back a they, long, long way. Because and they accommodated. Joe. They accommodated each other. And, and Sam Giancana really went out of his way to help uh, John F. Kennedy win the election right, by delivering Chicago. You know, yes. you know, Cook County vote. But um, yeah. also, it was it was Sam Giancana's uh, – it was among the lawyers in that whole circle of the Giancana group in Chicago were people like Sidney Korshak. Yes. Or, right? Who brought Ronald Reagan to Hollywood. That was, that was Sidney Korshak's big – that was his big delivery. That was his big gimme, that he brought Reagan to Hollywood because of the – what? Yeah, well, no, but a Sidney Korshak, because this was the whole point about the anti-communist movement in Hollywood in the 1930s and 40s. And Korshak was instrumental in that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as was Julie Stein, as was Lou Wasserman. When you get to the Marilyn Monroe question, um, uh, the nephew, Sam Giancana, mm-hmm. is on record as saying that uh, the mobster, Sam Giancana, confessed to having arranged the hit on Marilyn Monroe and that uh, he said that he did it uh, on, uh, as a contract from the CIA, that well, the orders came from the CIA and that he instituted it. Now, so here's the whole question for everyone trying to solve this problem. Sure. Do you believe this testimony or not? Are other facts consistent with this testimony? There's, My research indicated much, much is consistent with it, and I think that that's a fact. But the interesting twist to all of this is Bobby Kennedy's connection to the whole thing. As Chief Tom Redden said, there was involvement of the attorney general. So, well, what did you think of her threatening phone call to Bobby 
in which she basically said she was going to blow the whole news about her affair with John F. Kennedy, about her affair with Bobby, and about the wiretappers. Castro, the wiretap. The wiretappers have told us that that happened. Yes. Yes. And as a matter of fact, not only that, um, the uh, housemaid. Um, she finally came around, and we have this on on film. You know, I've I've got a lot of these clips in the movie because it's an evidentiary film. Right. She finally came around and said, "Yeah, Bobby Kennedy was at the house that day. Yes, they had an argument." Mm-hmm. And she right. said, "She said that the protectors of Bobby Kennedy had to step in." Now, I think that. I think that when the mobsters showed up that she thought that those were the protectors of Bobby Kennedy, but that wasn't it. They, they had it, I think from the CIA and there's an interesting document that relates to this, uh, that, uh, you know, to go ahead with the hit, but they timed it knowing that Bobby Kennedy was there that day. There were wiretaps. There were other ways they could have known. And then they were attempting to frame him to entrap him. Well, there were two other people that were involved. One was Peter Lawford. Yeah. Peter, Another liar. Another liar. To the, right. To but, the, there, but he did – there are, I think, at least two sets of tapes. This, this gets really deep. Yeah. Um, Peter Lawford's um, manager toward the end of his life now runs a big banking company in L.A. Mm-hmm. And Lawford really opened up to him about his role in setting up Maryland. And there's another series of tapes that are in the – I will tell you where they are. The, un, the uh, University of Arizona Library in Tucson. Really? Because I, yes. I could get access there. Is it available to the public? I don't know. I have to ask my writing partner because we were – I was trying to get out there to get them. Um, supposedly, Lawford really opens up about it. That's one person. The mm. other person was a man who's still alive. He's in his 90s. Called, uh, he's a medical doctor called Tommy Jacobson. Mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe, from the 1950s on, she was introduced to Max Jacobson, Dr. Feelgood, mm-hmm. by uh, Lee Strasberg's wife. Mm-hmm. And she'd been a patient of Max. In fact, her performance at Madison Square Garden uh, at the Kennedy birthday party, mm-hmm. everybody said she was drunk. She wasn't drunk. Mm-hmm. What had happened was Marilyn had terrible stage fright. I mean, she'd Mm -hmm. never performed live. She was always a motion picture actress. Mm -hmm. And so when the time came to sing Happy Birthday, she was petrified and she wouldn't go on. Max Jacobson, that's a long story, was uh, Dr. Feelgood, was in the audience because he was Kennedy's methamphetamine injection doctor. Mm -hmm. And And Marilyn's doctor as well. And they said, Max, give her a shot, let her go on. So her slurring of speech... The way she stumbles in that, that mm-hmm. was, uh, that's an overdose of methamphetamine. It was 40 mm-hmm. milligrams of methamphetamine uh, mm-hmm. that he gave her, uh, which he routinely gave to Jack Kennedy. That was why Kennedy sometimes seems so slurry, especially at the Vienna summit. But um, so that – so, so – um, Before you launch, we have well, to take a little break. So okay, wait a just second. One, that, one yeah. more thing. The person who delivered – when she was in Hollywood – she was self-injecting methamphetamine. And that was on her hip. It, uh, Noguchi points this out. There's this big kind of like welt on her hip that's in the autopsy report. 
And he described it as a bruise, but not an injection site. It It actually was an injection site. That was very funny because that was Max Jacobson's injection. Mickey Mantle, who was also a patient in 1961, by the way. Mickey Mantle, who was also a patient, had the exact same injection site. You, and so now you quick do the break and we'll quick be right back. Okay, so here's the break. So it's the bottom of the hour. It's 1130. We are with our guest, Paul Davis, telling us a fascinating story, not only about Forrest Ackerman, which is really spooky, I have to say, but also about Marilyn Monroe and his motion picture about gathering the evidence surrounding her death. We will be back on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio with our guest Paul Davids for the final half hour after these messages. Stay with us for the other Four thousand seven hundred and thirty-four UFO sightings in two thousand seven. Eight hundred and fifty-four abductions by aliens or unknown species reported by American and British citizens. Hundreds more unreported in 2007. Suppressed information about collisions with passenger aircraft and UFOs that has been kept from the public knowledge for years. And only one trusted source of information from some of the top UFO researchers in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. The UFOstore.com. Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to theufostore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and theufostore.com has it. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374 That's 954-973-3374 Or visit keyinformation.com
And we are back with our guest, Paul Davids. We are just talking about a mutual friend who has been a guest on this show and a friend of mine, friend of Nancy's, Phil, uh, uh, Philippe Mora. So go ahead and tell the story, Paul. Why don't you set us up? Well, we were talking about um, the fact I made this movie about Marilyn Monroe and uh, filmed many different uh, people for it. And one of them is Philippe Mora who is uh, known for having been the director of Communion, based on Whitley Strieber's book. Philippe Moore is in the Marilyn Monroe movie because he's the guy who uh, found, amidst a large dump of newly declassified documents from the FBI, he found a document uh, implicating Robert Kennedy in Marilyn Monroe's death. Now, he'd always been fascinated about Marilyn Monroe's death, and he considered this um, major story that there was this FBI document that Hoover had evidently never used or released, and it was kept top secret for a long time. But you could see on the first page that a lot of top people at the FBI had signed off that they had seen it. Now, uh, that's why he's involved in the Marilyn Monroe project. In the course of making the movie, I had to go back and film him a second time. And at this point, I had become convinced of the truth of Sam Giancana's statements about uh, uh, Sam, Sam Giancana, the mobster, having set up the hit and having done it in a way intending to entrap Bobby Kennedy. In fact, the word entrap was actually used by Sam Giancana, the nephew, on an Entertainment Tonight interview show. Mm-hmm. So here I am filming Philippe Mora, cameras rolling. His Mac is in the background, and it is completely off. Now, you have to understand, I'm not saying it's asleep. No. No, it, uh, the power's off. Yeah, the power's off. So I'm explaining to Philippe um, my theory. Uh, it's not just my theory, but you know this conclusion that, uh, that the timing of her death was intended uh, to entrap Bobby Kennedy. At the moment I said the word entrap, his Mac turned itself on, and the camera was rolling. And you see it turning itself on from nothing. You know the sound a Mac makes when you turn yeah, it on? Sure. Musical? Yeah, sure. It yeah. makes that little musical thing. You should see the expression on Philippe's face. And he, and he says, what the fuck? And he, he, he looks at the screen, and his eyebrows shoot up, and he gives me this weird look like Twilight Zone, you know? The timing was just perfect on the word entrap. Now, I'm a guy that's had a hundred weird things happen to him related to Forrest J. Ackerman since the man passed away. Mm-hmm. While making the movie, I had maybe 15 weird things happen to me related to Marilyn Monroe. This was certainly one of them. And, and I, I, I had to ask myself the question, um, you know, was I being guided? Was I being helped? Was I – was – his Mac turning itself on a signal that this was right on the money. Well, you and Philippe are very, well, very, this- very similar. And you each could be the, the doppelganger of the other in terms of your yes. life quest, your way yeah. of expressing yourself. Philippe um, comes from a, uh, her, his mom is a fabulous painter. Uh, your dad was a fabulous historian. I mean, you really have... You both were kind of treated to a great upbringing, which yes. I think not everybody has. And it's, I'm so glad to hear about it when it happens and, and you remain creative your whole entire life because of it. Well, remember, too, at, in 1962, 
Sam Giancana had actually turned against Jack Kennedy as well, which was funny because. But how could you link that to what I just said? And it was not completely okay. No, no, but it's a continuation on. of the of the of the question of the motivation. The, yeah. the, 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 the revolving around the word in, entrapment. What was this man capable of doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. that's government. That's super black. Oh no, 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 no! But I mean, level oh, what had happened? Maybe. See, there are a whole bunch of things that happened right about that time. One was that they were trying to keep the whole affair with Marilyn Monroe. For th- uh, they didn't meet until the nineteen until nineteen sixty ish, sixty one ish. They were trying to keep that. Well, I, I think they knew each other at the time of the Democratic convention in uh, nineteen sixty. Right. The Mauritania, uh, the, the Mauritania building, which is now condos. Is filled with pictures of Kennedy and uh, separate pictures of Marilyn Monroe and Kennedy's typewriter from that time. That time when he was preparing his speech for the Democratic convention. She really thought that he would divorce Jackie for her. That was her. That was her real belief system. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was not. She was not. She was not confused. I, I mean, she was not just out to have an affair. She really wanted to be a Kennedy. And she really thought he was going to uh, uh, divorce Jackie. Jackie was also phenomenally unhappy. She was like a patient of this Dr. Feelgood too. She was on meth. And so, so Marilyn was really thoroughly troubled. And, and one of these great conversations took place. Uh, it was 1999. Mickey Rooney and Joe DiMaggio were in this motion picture together called The First of May. Delightful movie. I mean really a delightful movie. And Joe makes a kind of a just a cameo appearance. He's telling this kid to follow his dream. Mickey and Joe. Now, you have to get this picture. There are these two icons, each from a different age. Mickey Rooney was Andy Hardy. Mm -hmm. He was one of the biggest heroes of the 1930s and very early 1940s. He didn't get into the army until 1943. Mm -hmm. So he really was. He made that jump over the decades over Pearl Harbor. He was one of the he was the single biggest star at Metro in the 1930s and early 40s. I mean, bigger than Gable, bigger than Powell. Um, just he created the teenage market. Joe's career was really from the 1940s. This was when Mickey was already on the wane when he came back from World War II. Joe was 1940s, 1950s. Each were icons. Imagine this scene. We have it from an eyewitness of the two of them finally sitting down to discuss the one thing they had in common. That was Marilyn because Mickey had an affair with Marilyn. He knew Marilyn. He knew Marilyn's agent, Johnny Hyde at William Morris. Mm -hmm. Uh, He even claimed to have given Marilyn her name, which he didn't. That was given to her Mm -hmm. by Johnny Hyde. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was just fascinating seeing the, and they and then Mickey had he would scroll these random notes that were loosely called a diary. It wasn't a diary. I ha- I, I read it, and um, Mickey wrote about Marilyn Monroe a lot. I mean, he believed she was murdered because of mm-hmm. the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. that was his theory, and Joe believed mm-hmm. she was murdered too. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's. Uh, you know, without going into everything having to do with the movie, but th- there is a very interesting uh, CIA document uh, documenting a wiretap phone call to Dorothy Kilgallen, right? Uh, talking about uh, what Marilyn knew and what she was threatening to talk about, and it, it included a reference to uh, the 
president's visit to a secret air base for yes, the purpose yes. of examining things from outer space. Absolutely. She even that, says that. that. That would have been Roswell. Someone has informed me that uh, John F. Kennedy's visit to that base, which was near Nellis, but just way out in the, in the sticks, um, that there was actually a New York Times um, article that indicated that Kennedy had, had gone there. So the CIA uh, document comes into play. I think the really interesting arguments about it, some of them uh, come from Don Burleson, who wrote a book called The Murder of Marilyn Monroe. That's it? right. That's Murder right. of Marilyn Monroe or the CIA and the Murder of Marilyn Monroe? Yeah, something like that. Uh, oh, we actually have the book. Yeah, yeah. we sold so he, it, I think. What he did was um, he filed a Freedom of Information Act um, you know, he, he did a filing asking for the transcripts of those wiretaps, saying, look, you've got this CIA document. Uh, there were wiretaps. It all must have been written down as transcripts somewhere, mm-hmm. like the transcripts. So the CIA searches, and they send him the common letter people get, says, we've looked, and we have nothing responsive to your request. Mm-hmm. But they said that if you want, you can appeal this. So he took the step of appealing. He had to do it within 30 days. He had to prepare the arguments. And what, what he, some of the things he said was, look, uh, wiretapping Marilyn Monroe, um, I understand it was, you know, would have been within your domain because, you know, she went to Mexico. She was cavorting with known communists there. So, and you had these wiretaps referred to in this document. They must have happened. Um, so he appealed. And the CIA accepted the appeal to go deeper into the search. Now, when you appeal something like that, believe me, if you're doing it on the basis of a bogus document, you think they're going to accept the appeal? Of course not. They're going to throw the document back in your face and say, this isn't ours. Mm -hmm. We're not going to waste our time with a fake. They would have done that the first time around. So we have every reason to believe that that document is real. There's another reason to believe it's real. Yeah. Did you look at the bottom of that document? Did you yeah. look at the filing instructions for that document? The sh- you're talking about the Shulgin connection? What I'm talking Shulgin. about are Blue Fly and Moondust. Yes. There yes. are two Moondust files that they certify, Blue Fly and Moondust. Both of them have to do with objects that came from outer space. Yes. Right. So there was great concern about this. Uh, what she knew at that time. Uh, do you know what? Philippe, do you know what? Hello. Yes, I'm here. Okay. Do you know what Philippe was looking for when he ended up getting the Maryland FBI document? Yeah, he wasn't looking for anything about Maryland. He he, he was doing a preparing a documentary about the uh, convulsion of the 1960s. So the name on the document, it didn't mention Marilyn Monroe in the title. It, it just said Robert Kennedy. So mm-hmm. that's how he came across it. And then I he see. discovered. I see. And one thing led to another. So with this, the existence of the CIA document um, colors a lot of things because Sam Giancana told his family that he, 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 he arranged the hit on the instructions uh, was uh, a contract from the CIA. Now, so that that's another reason to believe all of this. And yes. and my, my film goes into all of that and presents it. And I'm expecting a um, 
you know, quite a lot of uh, pushback because there's been pushback on this subject uh, ever since she died. But here's the other thing which is so fascinating. Talking about that Marilyn Monroe transcript, in fact, Marilyn Monroe in general, but talking about that specific transcript of that wiretap, what's important is that that was not the only mistress that Kennedy had that he whispered these pillow talk secrets to. That's right. The other one was Mary Pinchot Meyer. Who who was was assassinated, shot in the head. Shot in the head a year after Kennedy was killed, uh, and she was shot uh, along the Georgetown Canal. Now, here's a part of that story you may not know, Bill. Go ahead. Extremely interesting. Go ahead. Okay. You know who signed the CIA document about Marilyn Monroe? You know whose signature's on that? No, I don't. Well, it's James Angleton, who was head of counterintelligence. And it's James Angleton who broke into uh, Mary Pinchot Meyer's house. And looking for the diary. Bradley, exactly. Ben Bradley, you can believe it because it comes from the publisher of the Washington Post himself in his own autobiography. Right. And Ben Bradley told us over the phone, my writing partner and I called him. And he, we asked him about that diary. And we asked him why, here's what we asked him, not just about the diary and about Tony, his, his ex-wife, Tony Bradley, mm-hmm. but... We, she was Mary Pinchot's sister, but we asked him why he burned the diary, because he burned it after James Jesus Angleton returned the diary to him. Yeah, James uh, Jesus Angleton held that diary for years. He yes. had promised they gave it to him. Yeah, because he said, you know, the CIA can destroy this in a way that nobody will find the dust. Um, and uh, then it was years went by and. Uh, I think it was Tony asked him, you know, you burned the diary, Tony. right? Yeah, and he admitted at that point that he never burned it. He still right. had it. And, they, and he gave it furious. back to her. She was furious. She, he gave it back to her, yeah. yeah. And what was in the diary? Yeah, does Bradley know? Yes, Tony, Tony. Bradley knew because she told us. What did she say? We spoke to Tony Bradley. This was well. I know it. I know it. I know it. It kind of revealed her affair with uh, John F. Kennedy. Not only that. Not only that, you're going to get excited about this because you knew um, uh, – now, now his name escapes me, but you did a film about him. Timothy Leary. You knew Timothy Leary. Yeah. Timothy uh, – uh, Mary Pinchot knew Timothy Leary. I'm very Leary scarred by that film, by the way. What? I'm very. I'm still to this day very scarred by that film. It was the Timothy head. Leary. It was the the, don't tell the end. Don't give it away. Okay. I'm not Seriously away. scarred. I don't think – I just didn't expect it. And yeah, I was that was a shocker. But anyway. <laughs> Great movie. Mary, both Mary Meyer, Mary Pinchot, and John F. Kennedy were friends with Timothy Leary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Timothy Leary was supplying Mary Pinchot with LSD, LSD. to in take the White to House. the Kennedy White House. Yeah. Exactly. He took it in the White well, House. A lot of the stuff that was in that diary, this is fascinating. A lot of the stuff that was in that diary had to do with Kennedy and, 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 and Mary were one-worlders. That's, that's a Corso phrase. Mm-hmm. They really believed in it's one world, one world after all. We all should share. This is one world. There's only one way to peace. That's with one world on planet Earth. And that so horrified a lot of the people. But Kennedy also was spilling pillow talk to Mary Meyer about the base at Area 51. 
because that's one of the things Tony Bradley told us that the, uh, that there were all these references to objects from space that her sister was talking about in the diary. And that's exactly what James Jesus Angleton wanted to know. What did Kennedy talk about? Because Kennedy had this problem. One, he was usually high on meth from Max Jacobson. He was mm-hmm. hypersexual. He was having a lot of affairs. When he went to the Carlisle Hotel in New York, he would slip away from the FBI and hook up with call girls along Central Park. And so the CIA was, was, was like livid about that because they couldn't control this guy. But... He also was partly responsible because of his relationship with Max Jacobson for the murder of a CIA officer, Kennedy family photographer Mark Shaw. He was a CIA non-official cover officer, according to his wife, Pat Suzuki, the actress. So, so the thing was that Kennedy was in deep, deep doo-doo with the very people. I mean, his, 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 his final undoing was the Vietnam War when he said he was going to pull the CIA out. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, of of Southeast Asia, that mm-hmm. was their money. That was their money flow. They were laundering money for the Southeast Asian drug lords. That was the end of it for them. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All 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 true, and these very fascinating pieces interlock. When you notice the blacked out words, mm-hmm. spoke mm-hmm. to Joe Modi. Mm-hmm. Did you ever? Um, have the inclination to call Joe Amodi and find out if there had been any contact between Joe and Fari? I eventually had a conversation with Joe Amodi, but it didn't happen soon. Um, I dismissed it uh, as having significance to him. I mean, uh, it made no sense. It made no sense. I, I, I stewed on that for for days why but then when i realized that that's what fari would do and the way the way it happened the way the realization happened was i had tried to find a few documents of manuscripts with fari's editing style of famous monsters different articles so i could see whether he blacked out words like that let me just parenthetically say that eventually I found many examples were just exactly like that, even where he blacked out two levels of darkness. And that's all in the book. There's a lot of uh, mm-hmm. photographs of that in the book. Right. Um, but um, when, um, when I uh, had one of these documents, I, I, I wasn't sure whether the blackout notations were done by Fari or his publisher. And I thought the person who would know this would be Joe Mo. Mm-hmm. So I called Joe Mo specifically to ask him about about that. But before Joe even let me tell him, uh, and I hadn't said anything about the blackout in the document. I hadn't gotten the story out to Joe yet. He said, Paul, I've got to tell you that after the tribute, there was this apparition of Fari coming to me. And he said it was he, – he had a look on his face of mischief uh, like he often did when he was going to play a game. And he said, have you seen any good Hollywood tributes lately? Hmm. And Joe said, you know, were you there? I mean, did, did you see it? What did you think? And Fari said, well, you know, it was fair. And that was another joke they had between them, you know, mm-hmm. to say that something was fair because someone once said the Acker Mansion was fair. Mm-hmm. And, and then Fari said, it's what, if they, saw, yeah. the, if they yeah. saw the Taj Mahal, would they say it was fair? 
But then Fari said, no, no, that, that tribute, that was the ninth wonder of the world. Why the ninth wonder? Because mm-hmm. the eighth wonder for Fari, of course, is King Kong. We all know that. King Kong, oh, the eighth okay. wonder. So Fari would never say his tribute was the eighth wonder. He said it was the ninth wonder. And Joe said, and then uh, he said this was like a super real consciousness experience just moments before awakening in the morning. And he then he opens his eyes and everything in the room is exactly as it was in this super conscious experience except Fari is not there. So he said he said the words to me, Paul, it was as if Fari came and spoke to me. It mm. was at that moment that I put it all together and I said, Oh my God, he's telling me he spoke to Joe Mo. And that was a moment of tremendous revelation to me mm-hmm. because even though it was a theory at that point all the pieces fit. And as time went on, and the scientists not only had trouble, they couldn't reproduce the ink, uh, their studies were not bringing them results they could really understand. And then when the sort of poltergeist phenomena started happening to Dr. John Allison, uh, College of New Jersey, it was a complete circle. And these things have gone on and on and on. And College of New Jersey is Trenton State State College, College, where Bill was a tenured professor. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we've talked about a lot of Joes tonight. I'm just pointing that out. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, John Allison is is still there. And uh, one of the masks I mentioned Oh, we just have a couple of minutes. I don't think I can get into another mask story. Let me just let me just. We have, we have four things. solid minutes. We can do it. Oh, okay. It's the it's the third mask, right? The third mask was from Zimbabwe. Uh, it was a present from the fellow who produced Timothy Leary's Dead with me. And it was here in this Santa Fe house, right smack over my shoulder where I'm sitting right now, which is right through the door from the room where the ink obliteration happened. Well, the next day I called in psychic I knew who I had made some extraordinary predictions about my own life that had come true. And she came over with an electromagnetic field reader and things just went crazy around that African mask. And the EMF readings went off the scale and off the scale when she pointed it at my head at that point, which scared the living hell out of me. I didn't know why. And we were filming the whole thing and we got a very clear EVP right then. Um, and the EVP was the word Lenore. 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 Well, <laughs> Fari was very into Edgar Allan Poe, and Lenore is the lost love of the Raven, and you yeah. know, also a poem called the Lenore. So I think that Fari, you know, his connection with Edgar Allan Poe, that comes into the mystery. Oh, that's, it gives chills right there. It, Lots it really of chills. does. It yeah. really does. Wow. And, and the three books of poetry I've written ever since, the 450 pages in three volumes, it all started from hearing the EVP of Lenore. Really? Then I, I became really? a, a poet. I, I mean, I had written one that won a prize in, at Princeton and then never wrote any poetry again. I well, heard you, that you from, received a, uh, an F. Scott Fitzgerald Prize, I believe. Yes, for, for, mm-hmm. uh, for literary work at, at Princeton. So I know we just have a couple minutes, and I want to come back and mention, you know, my book again is an atheist. Do it. Do it. You go ahead. And I, I urge your readers to, uh, you know, you'll find it fascinating, even if you don't think you'd ever have time to read the whole 500 pages. What you do have time to read will uh, 
open your mind, I'm sure. And uh, and and it's a plea for support for a project like this. Good. It was a yeah. lot to take on myself for three years, and you know, the ten bucks for a Kindle or a or the hardback is absolutely beautiful. So well done. So uh, that's uh, that's that's a plea. I sent people to Amazon.com, and then the movie is still there. It's called the Life After Death Project. Okay, I have a lot of them linked up to Future Theater, so I'll continue to add a few more because I forgot to add the Star Trek list just for fun. It's the it's Star there's Wars a lot to Star Wars. Star, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars books. Yeah. Yes, yeah. never make that mistake. Oh, yeah. Never. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> holy series, Nancy. Yeah. How holy. did you and um, who, who who contracted for um, you and Hollis to write the Star Wars books? Um. There was an agent, um, it was a New York agent who knew that I'd worked on the Transformers show. Mm-hmm. And he had talked to the licensing people at Lucasfilm. And this was when the long gap after the third Star Wars movie before they brought out the one that had Jar Jar Binks. You know, the like six ten years, ten years or something goes by. Technically. So they wanted to promote Star Wars, bring it back into the minds of their fan base. And so... My agent said, you know, he, well, he did so well with the Transformers. Can you imagine what he do with R2-D2 and C-3PO? So we came up with a proposal, six books with an ecological crisis on six different worlds. Each nice. ecological nice. crisis caused nice. by the Empire. Yeah. And we dealt with the burning of the rainforests on Yavin. We dealt with the smog in Cloud City. The murder of the whaleodons, the whales on. Uh, now, how, how, how do you feel about the uh, old books and the old uh, EU not being canon anymore since Disney bought out Star Wars Lucasfilms? Yeah, well, I don't know that we ever really were canon. I mean, we we were given the assignment for a purpose, um, and the age range of the readership was, you know, less than adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were right. illustrated, so uh, we were never given instructions that it had to be canon. We we let. So that's what, but Star Trek is very canon. I'm just saying, but no, um, no, no, no. Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars has tried to be for yeah. a long. Star Trek time. is very rigid. We did some Star Trek books, and we we ran into the Star Trek encyclopedia, yeah. which we saw. Yeah. Um, yeah, and now next week our guest is Richard Estup. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. Hauntings yeah. and ghosts and things. Haunted hotels. Hospitals. Haunted, haunted hospitals. Uh, I've had enough of hospitals for a lifetime. That's true. This is Haunted Hospitals. and um, That's not much better. We have some incredible (laughs) stories from him. Anyway, I want to thank our guest, Paul Davids. Go to his website, buy his book, um, take a look at his movies. And Paul, quick, what are you working on right right next that we didn't talk about? Oh, I'm painting. Uh, You know, I have a whole legacy as a painter. And I've done books about uh, my paintings of New York and France and uh, my, my Paris. Mexico, California coast, and I've wanted to finish my book of the Southwest. So I'm doing some more paintings of the Southwest. My works are going into galleries. Um, and if you go to the site PaulDavids-artist.com, you'll see all the – you were there, uh, Nancy. Right, so. and, I, and I apologize for not sending – Chris had an experience in, uh, and the image you created looks a lot like Chris's experience to me, and I mm. wanted to put the two of you together. But next show, you'll come yeah. back, I hope. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd okay, love so to. we are – okay, so thank you, Paul Davids. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Next week is Richard Estop. And, Amy, you heard it, so and that's Amy, what we'll do. We're going to hunt you down, Paul, and bring you back. Okay, so 
Uh, we are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Good night, everybody. Burns on Future Theater Live, broadcasting from Sobery Township, Pennsylvania, Sobery Village, Pennsylvania, on Primrose Creek, on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio, and we will see you all next week.